Trader, nothing great happens if you hold back. Now, you thought I was going to do a running mouth there, didn't you? Okay. Uh, uh, listen, if you weren't here yesterday, welcome back to Colossians, book of Colossians. Uh, I've been missing it. I hope you have too. I love this book. We've been studying it. Who wrote Colossians? Paul, okay. And where was he when he wrote it? A Roman prison, okay. Uh, you know, as a little segue, um, we announced yesterday that, um, that we were able to uh, restructure the loan. And so uh, we got this huge savings um, to, uh, to our, on our mortgage of about 38000 a year. And everybody was really happy about that. I just wanted to let you know that I doubled the liability insurance for the church. And, uh, and the work was comp. So. And I'm, I got to confess to you, I'm a little distracted uh, because uh, right now as I'm preaching, Deb's uh, father is in the emergency room over at Parkland Heart Hospital. And I'm saying, and I'm hoping that I don't join them, okay, uh, in, the ER, in the ER this morning. So, uh, but, I, you know, here comes the big one, um, three, three in a row. <laughs> Was that three? <laughs> you know, um, I've been struggling all week with the word, okay? The word for the day, the word for the day, be by uo, be by uo. It's a Greek word. It's found in the text that we will read today, Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, where Paul uses in verse 7, he uses four participles to describe the Christian walk, okay? One of those is the be by, be by uo. And I was wrestling with its meaning and, um, until I happened on this idea. Stupid as it is, okay? Um, when somebody does what Sean Johnson did in that beam routine. What, what does it take to be able to do that? Okay, it takes courage for one thing. I mean, you cannot be timid to do the things that she was doing on the beam, right? Are you following me? There has to be, there has to be flexibility and there has to be strength, muscle coordination, okay? There has to be balance. There has to be a, a, a firmness, you know. I mean, you get points when you stick the landing, boom, when you hit solid, when you are firm and solid. Does that make sense? That's the word in Greek that we're talking about. But here's what happens to us, to a lot of us. There's some of us who um, get a little afraid, get a little scared. Man, and we certainly don't want to, we don't want to fall. <laughs> and we don't want to look like failure. So it may be fear of failure. You know, it may be that, um, you know, that too many people are watching. It may be that at some point we get 
hurt and our sense of security is somewhat we lose our confidence a little. It may be that we stumble. It may be we have even fallen off. It may be in some way we get some injury. And you know what we do? <laughs> we do this. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to fall. I don't want to. I don't want to get hurt anymore. Man, that you know. They raise that bar way too high, this Christianity thing. I mean, I, I, I'm saying I, I can't live up to all that stuff. And so, we, you know, we, so we, we go down. And then before long, we're doing this. <laughs> I, I feel okay now. Lord, I, I just want, you know, my... My family to be safe and secure, and I just want to live in one of those gated communities. And I'm going to get my, my kids to wear helmets when they ride their bicycles, and I'm going to put that that sixty odd stuff on when they go out in the sun because those I don't want them to get those UV rays. And and uh, but Lord, don't ask me to do, don't ask me to do anything that might be just a little risky or or might be a little scary for me. And uh, and so what we do? This is what we do. This is how some of you look. You, do you get this? This is, I mean, this is how, I mean, really, some, this is how your Christian life looks. You know, and, uh, and we can talk about the game, you know, but, but the reality, <laughs> this is, and then, see, and then we, we, uh, we just hope and pray that we'll get to live a long life and that one day that we'll just die in our sleep. And, uh, you know, we'll just, we'll just be asleep and we'll just pass, you know, like gently, gently into the arms, you know, and we'll just pass over, you know, and, and, and then we'll. <laughs> Am I right? Yeah. Hey, you know, if a competitive gymnast got up on the beam and did this, and then did this, <laughs> what would the judges do? You see, and folks, you understand that scripturally one day you will die and you will stand before the judge. And it's not going to be good if you lived your life clutching the beam and then you jump off and go. Be by uo. It's one of four of the participles that we need to look at. I hope I've got your interest going a little bit. I think I'm down safely now. I think we can get into the sermon. So let's pray. Father, we're going to commit this these next few minutes to you and ask that you would lead and direct it. Um, use it, Father, in any way that you would see fit. That we might be attentive and open to your word. That's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we got some work to do. Everybody stretch now. 
<clears throat> loosen up a little bit. You know, kind of get, get loosened up. Warm up your brain a little bit, you know. Get ready for a workout. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 and verse 7. We're going to just look at these two verses today. Therefore, as you have received, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Therefore, anytime you see a therefore in Scripture, you have to pause and ask yourself what it's there for. Because it's telling you to go back and read and think about what has just been said. You see, because Paul is concluding a section of of the letter. And really, verses 6 and 7 of the second chapter are are hinge verses that, that join together two parts of the letter. So they're very significant in that sense. What has gone before, where Paul has discussed his ministry in the gospel, and, and then the results or what he has seen developing in the life of the Colossians in verses 1 through 5 of chapter 2, where we talked last time. It's been three weeks, but we talked last time about Colossians, about what it takes to become mature in Christ. Two things, basically. Identity, you have to know who you are in Christ. You have to know Christ and know who you are in Christ. Identity plus intensity equals maturity. Intensity is the idea of intentionality and effort, and you, and you put yourself into it, and completely and totally into it. So Paul has basically been talking about this process of maturity, and now he he comes to verse 6 and verse 7 and says, therefore, and he's really going to talk about the continuation of their growth and into into depth and, and strength in maturity. And the reason he's doing that is because Paul's very much concerned about what? There are some false teachers that are among the Colossians. There's a bogus belief system that has worked its way into that faith community, and they are being lured away. They're being, they're being you know, attracted away and distracted from the truth and the foundation of the gospel. And so Paul, in chapter 2, this is a chapter that's full of warning. Now, next week... Next week, the next time we talk about Colossians, I'm going to unpack the Colossian heresy, all four parts of the Colossian heresy for you, and you will be interested to know that all four parts are, are alive and well in this, in this present context in society. But Paul warns them, and, and, you know, that, that they need to, like in, in verse 4, he says, I, I say this in order that you may 
that no one may delude you with plausible sounding arguments. In verse 8, right after the verses we just read, he says, See to it that no one takes you captive, puts you in chains by some philosophy or empty deceit according to human tradition, not God's word or God's thoughts, but human tradition according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. And in verse 16, he says, let let no one pass judgment on you. Let no one, you know, let no one question your faith. Let no one disqualify you, verse 18. So he's very much concerned about the false teaching and the impact that it's having in Colossae, which we'll talk next time. But this time, let's talk about what, it, what Paul really wants us to see is, is what the Christian walk looks, is to look like. So therefore... As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Now, I I gave you a couple of fancy Greek words here. Can you go to that slide? As you received, pare labete, okay? As you received, pare labete, Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk, pare labete, in him. What does that sound like to you? That's a play on words in Greek. Do you see it? It's an interesting phraseology, and I think it probably stuck not only with the Colossians, but with the early church. This, this kind of a play on words here. It's like he's saying, hey, as you pari labete, now peri Labieti. As you received, now walk. Now it reminds me of, an, of, of another phrase that we turn around the church sometimes, pretty often. If you're not going to walk the walk, don't talk the talk. You get it? But here Paul says, You need, in the same way that you received grace, forgiveness, power, relationship, in the same way you received, keep walking. Keep walking. Hmm. It strikes me that... um, that's difficult for us, but it really, walking only involves two things. Have you noticed? You know, I'll demonstrate. Two things. What you need to figure out, folks, is what those two things are. Because what Paul is saying, you need to keep repeating those over and over and over again. And if you keep doing those two things over and over again, you'll get better at it and you'll get stronger. And as you get stronger, eventually you'll learn to run with confidence and assurance and and with strength. Does that make sense? What are those two things? You know, 
They're simple. Trust. Obey. The word trust is, you know, this idea of faith. Believe. Okay, but trust is a very relational kind of word because we have to decide, do I trust God? Do I trust his heart? Do I trust his intentions? Do I trust what he is saying to me? Because if I trust him, you see, that's the first step is I trust. And if I trust, if I truly trust, I will do the second thing. I will obey his voice. I will obey him. I will do what he asks me to do. That's simple. And all I have to do in life is as I have received him, now I'm in relationship with him, with this one who is faithful and trustworthy and loving and forgiving, who's, who, is, who is guaranteed to me that he will supply everything that I need. Oh, if I trust you, I trust you. Okay, I'll, I'll obey you. I trust you. I'll obey you. I trust you. I, whoops. I, I didn't see that there. What is it that trips us up? He says, my word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. Generally, you know, if a a believer gets out of the word of God and quits reading the word of God, you know, it won't be long. You know what I'm saying? But they can't see what's in front of them. But let, let me just tell you, let me just tell you, you know what I'm saying? Here, this is how it works. We get insight. We believe it. Insight. Application. Trust. Obey. Any way you want to say that. There's any lists of words. But when it, you boil it all down, the Christian life, the walk of the Christian is simply that. Now, there are a lot of us in this room, you see, who... Now, and here's the thing. Here's the thing. Now... We started out this series talking about the vertical indicative. Remember? What's the vertical indicative? An indicative is that which is, you know, has already been done and accomplished. That is the finished work of Christ. That's the vertical indicative. And the vertical indicative is then followed. That's chapters 1 and 2 of Colossians. The, the, the vertical indicative described in chapters 1 and 2 is followed in chapter 3 and 4 by the horizontal imperative. You get it? See, and so here's trust. I trust in who he is and what he's already done for me and what he's promised me. And then the horizontal imperative, that's the obey. I understand. I, I'm going to follow his commands not because I have to. But I trust him. And, and that's, the, that's the Christian life. It's trust, obey. It's trust, obey. Trust, obey. Trust, obey. And I walk through life. And if I keep doing that, what happens? I will get stronger. And my steps will become more and more purposeful. And I will find myself going places that I might not have thought I, had, I would go before. So Paul is saying to the Colossians, he's saying, guys, when you have Christ, when you have Christ, you have everything that you need. 
Eli Weissel, Jewish writer, has written a book called Souls on Fire. And it tells the story of a very remarkable um, family who lived in Krakow, Poland. They were extremely poor. Isak, son of Yekel, could barely put food on the table for his family. And most of the time, they went to bed hungry. But one night he had a very vivid dream. He dreamed that he was walking in the city of Prague, several hundred miles away. Walking along the river and he came to a bridge and underneath that bridge he found buried treasure. The next night he had the same dream again. He had the same dream for two weeks. Until finally he decided that he would walk, if he had to, all the way to Prague to see for himself if his dream was real. And when he arrived in the city, he began to follow the river until he came to the bridge that he saw in his dream. And he began, he went to the place where in his dream he had seen the treasure and he began to dig. He dug for only a few minutes before there was a tap on his shoulder and he was jerked around and a soldier pointed a bayonet into his chest and asked him what he was doing there. This vagrant, this poor Jew, marched him off to the police station, put him in an interrogation room, and the soldier came in, this seasoned, tough soldier came down and sat in front of him and said, Now tell me what you were doing under the bridge. And Isaac Yekel decided it would be best if he just told the truth. And so he did. He said, I had a dream. And in my dream, I saw the river and then I saw this bridge. And then I, when I came under the bridge and I dug, I found a buried treasure. And with that, the soldier just laughed and hee-hawed in his face. You stupid Jew, he said. I can't believe you believe in dreams. How stupid. I know better. I've had the same dream over and over again the last two weeks. I dreamed that there was this guy. His name was Isaac, son of Yekel. And he lived in Krakow. And underneath his kitchen sink there was buried gold. Well, you know what Esau did when they released him from the jail. He made his way back to Krakow, and he dug underneath his sink, and he found gold. He had it all the time. He had the treasure all the time. That's what Paul is saying to the, you know, to the Colossians. If you have Jesus, you have all the fullness of God. In bodily form. You have everything you need. Now just as you received Christ Jesus the Lord. Now he he uses a phrase there with three titles. Three titles. Christ 
Jesus the Lord. This is the only time, the only time in Paul's writing that he combines those three titles in one sentence. And when, you know, when scholars make note of that, they kind of start drilling down and they start theorizing about, whoa, what's going on here? Well, it's fairly simple. Paul is combating heresy, and so he puts into this one sentence the three titles for Jesus that that the Colossians have got to anchor their lives in. And if you and I are smart, we'll anchor our lives there too. He's the Christ. He's deity. He's Jesus. He's flesh and bone, real and physical. There was some stuff going on in Colossae that was denying the, you know, the real humanity of Jesus. His deity, his humanity, and his sovereignty. He is Lord. So Paul this one time says, just as you received Jesus, the total package, Christ Jesus the Lord, now walk in him. Walk in him. And then he gives us four participles. In, the, in verse 7 that describe that walk. So we're going to hit them real quickly, okay? Would you go with me? Okay. Let me catch up in my notes here. Okay, now, what I need to tell you on the front end is that these, um, what Paul does in verse 7 is he mixes metaphors. It's not the only place Paul does that. You know what a mixed metaphor is? It's when you're trying to illustrate something, but you take, you take, a, you take a concept or, a, you know, or a, um, a, a thought from two totally different realms of, of, uh, of, of, of reality, and you try to blend them together and, and make sense out of them. And, and, and sometimes a mixed, mixed metaphors can be very confusing, and they can be funny. You know, the, the, one of the most classic... Um, Mixed metaphor guys was Yogi Berra. Remember? Remember Yogi? Nobody could mix a metaphor like Yogi Berra. Let me just give you a few. The future just ain't what it used to be. If you come to a fork in the road, take it. Listen to this. In theory, there is no difference between theory and practice. But in practice, there is. You can observe a lot just by watching. It ain't the heat, it's the humility. That's a mixed metaphor. A nickel ain't worth a dime anymore. I love Yogi Berra. He was one of my favorite Yankees. Nobody goes there anymore because it's too crowded. It's like deja vu all over again. Berra came up with some great lines. All right, everybody line up in alphabetical order according to your height. And, of course, it ain't over till it's over. Yeah. So Paul gives us some mixed metaphors in these participles. Look, he says, being rooted 
you know, a participle, a, a, a word from farming, and built up a construction term in him, established, referring to the to physicality in the body, you know, in the faith, just as you were taught, and abounding. And this is a, this, it denotes a river phase, a phase that a river goes through. So he's mixing metaphors here, okay? But let's look at them, and, and, uh, and hopefully we can learn something from them, okay? The first one, having been rooted. Now, this is a perfect tense participle. And the stress of that um, is that it is completed action. Paul is saying you have already been planted. If you're a Christian, you've already been planted. You already have, you have a root system. That root system needs to grow. But you have been planted, if you will. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by rivers of water that will bring forth its fruit in its season. And its leaf will not wither, and whatsoever he does will be fruitful, will prosper. And the imagery in the psalm is, is that you are planted. You, you know, you're not just out there growing volunteers somewhere just you know, because some seed just fell on the ground somewhere. But you, know, you have been planted, and, there's, and you have a root system. Now, how many of us would go around in our yard once we have landscaped our yard, and we would dig the, a tree up every year, you know what I'm saying, and move it somewhere else? If you start doing that, your neighbor's going to be standing out in their front yards going, what's wrong with Daryl Byer? He keeps digging that tree up. You know, two years ago it was... Seriously. He, he wants... The, the, the Heavenly Father wants us to have a root system. Now, what does a root system do for a tree? Gives life through, takes in nourishment, doesn't it? So to feed that tree, what else? Keeps it from falling over. That's right. You gotta, if a tree has a good root system, you know, the, the wind will, it may sway that tree, but it's not going to take it down, right? Now, if, there's another question. How do you get a root system to really go deeper. No. No. Drought. Adversity. Difficulty. Challenges. Failure. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes it's failure. Adversity. You, you, you com- we complain to the Lord all the time. What if, in fact, He just wanted us to learn how to depend on Him for everything, to really see His hand working in our lives? What if He allowed that adversity in our life, you know, that thing that is crushing us, you know, that is that is that is causing so much fear and uncertainty, and and is you know has become you know, we are so obsessed with somehow problem and he says you know it's there because i'm 
I want you to sink your roots deeper. I read um, Calvin Miller's memoir, one of my faith heroes. He was an active mentor in my life at one time, passive mentor in the latter part of the years when he, when he moved over to Birmingham to teach at Samford University. But uh, Calvin Miller was a, a, a wonderful uh, writer. And in his memoir, he tells a story. Calvin um, is a church planter in Omaha, Nebraska. And boy, is, are they struggling. He's been there for a couple of years, and he's just barely got his church up to about 100 people. And he's just knocking on doors every day. I mean, he is working hard every day trying to plant this church. And he, he, one day he's out on the street knocking on doors, and he meets another guy knocking on doors, and he realizes there's a, there's a pastor from another denomination that's also church planting in that same area. And so they just become friends, and they start, having, they start eating breakfast together once a week. And they just become very good friends. And, and, uh, and so Calvin's friend one day walks into the restaurant and sits down and says, Hey, Calvin, I got some really bad news this week. I'm going blind. Really? He says, Yeah, I've got about six or seven weeks before I'm totally blind. Calvin says, Man, boy, that's tough. And sure enough, as they were eating breakfast every week, you know, and each week his, his, his eyesight was being diminished until finally after about seven or eight weeks, he was, he was totally blind. He showed up at the restaurant with a cane with a red tip, and he was trying to figure out how to get around with a cane and a red tip. And he said to Calvin, I don't know how I'm going to pastor my church. I can't even see him anymore. And he was struggling in the same place that Calvin was. You know, their churches were about the same size. And, and uh, you know, and it was just an everyday struggle. And they were both knocking on doors. And one day he walks in the restaurant and Calvin's friend walks in. And he's all scratched up and bruised. And he's got a big cut on, you know, on the top of his cheek. And Calvin says, man, what happened to you? And he says, man, I was out knocking on doors, you know, with my cane. And I got up on this lady's porch and she cussed me out, told me to get the blankety blank off her, off her porch. And I was just trying to comply. I took a step back and fell in her rose bushes. He said, Calvin, I don't know what I'm going to do. I can't even go door to door anymore. But you know what Calvin said? I watched my friend because what happened was the adversity in his life pushed him deeper into Christ and he began to pray more. He began to spend more time in the presence of the Lord. He says, I watched my friend fall in love deeply with Jesus because he could not see. He says, and then another very curious thing happened. I began to notice that while my church stayed about 100 to 150 people, his was growing every week. Why? Because the depth of your life will determine the breadth of your influence. Do you get it? The depth of your root system in Jesus will determine your influence in the lives of others. Guys, I'm going to trip over this before it's all over. If we live our lives like this, how are your children going to live? Confidently? Are they going to think your faith is anything? They're not that dumb. 
They will be the judge. And you can't stand in front of your kids and go, if you're going to live that way. So we have to be rooted. But it's a perfect tense participle. So he's already rooted us. I'm saying, but he's going to allow adversity because, man, he's committed to deepening our experience and our dependence on him. And then he says, then he says, being built up. Now he uses a construction term. Now, I broke it down for you in the sentence. Ep oiko domeo, because we've talked about this word oikos. It's the word for a house. Domeo is the word for to build. So it's the combination of to build a house. So it's, the picture is real clear. There's this foundation, which is Christ, and now we are building on that foundation, or that foundation is being, that, that structure is being built on that foundation. Now I need to point out to you that this is a present passive participle. You know what the passive voice means? It's not calling attention to your action. It's saying he continues to build on the foundation of your life. That's what that voice means. Oiko domeo. We get the word domicile from domeo to build, a building, a domicile. He's going to build, he is building you up. You, you, are, you, are you seeing the emphasis here upon what you have received? See, it's all gift. You get it? It's all gift. E- even the adversity is a gift if you come to understand it. And you'll understand it later. You won't get it now. It's all gift. He's rooted you, and now he's building a structure in your life. He's building things on that foundation, which is Christ. And being established. Now, this is the word that we talked about earlier. Be by uo. It's a word for strength. By the, 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 the base root word was a root, it was a word that was used in, spirit, in, in the idea of warfare. You know, it was a, a in, in some of the Old Testament texts, it would refer to this idea, if you look back in the Septuagint, of, of just of, of aggression and almost savagery. When it's used in this context, you know, what it's conveying is this idea of strength and dexterity, firmness in the fight, balance, everything you need. It's not, a, it's not a word that conveys the idea that we lack confidence or that we are fearful or afraid of anything. We will try anything when, this, when we have this strength. And once again, it's present passive which tells you what? Where does the strength come from? Not from you. It comes from Him. Remember, we've received the Holy Spirit. We've received Him. His, we, we get His strength. 
in us. It's an interesting word because the normal word for for strength or power is the word dunamis. We get the word dynamite from it. That's the one that's most prominent in Scripture. But Paul uses this very little used word in the New Testament because he's conveying something something about, about how intentional, how almost aggressive, how forceful is that action. You get it? And then the last participle, abounding. And interestingly enough, it is this participle which is present and active. Which means this is what we're doing. This is what we bring to the mix. We bring thanksgiving, gratitude, worship. You show me someone who is rooted in Christ... And whose roots are growing deep into Christ. Who have been through thick and thin with Jesus. And, you know, and, 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 and from that experience, God has begun to build some things into their life. Build upon their faith. That, that foundation. Some, a, a, a structure. A place for others. For relationship and you know, and, and the fruit of the Spirit, you know, whatever those, those elements those, that, of that structure might be that's described often in Scripture. But you show me someone who's got those roots and God is building that into their life. And, 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 they, and then they are, they're finding their strength that they, that they can rely on God if they have the strength for whatever they need. I'll show you someone who comes in here to worship with a grateful heart. So that's how you measure it. You got a sense about how you're doing with the first three, with how you worship today. Am I getting in your business yet? Yeah. What we do is we rely on our strength and we kind of we build kind of in a shabby kind of a way and we don't have much root and then before long we're doing this. And we're just holding on to Jesus hoping that someday when we stand before him well done. Oh, come on. But here's the deal. How do you get all that? It's just like Paul described it. Just as you received, you have to keep receiving. You have to open yourself up. You can't do it on your effort. You have to allow him to do what he wants to do. And so it's more about surrender at this point, isn't it? Bow with me.